flying sign with Joe Clady. This is Stoic Forge. The plan was set. The California Zephyr was going to be the the final the final adventure. After my mom had spoke with Karen um, and made sure that everything was was going to be fine with this transition between the van and and getting back to to Sacramento, which was where I was going to to board, we were off. I tried to say goodbye to to all the people that I had met under the bridge there in Garberville, but uh, didn't get. I didn't really care to, honestly. The only person I needed to find was Josh, and I said goodbye, buddy. I'm heading back to Indiana, and he was so heartbroken I could just see it on his face and he just gave me a hug and said it's been fun Indiana in his Josh way of speaking and he walkered his way into the (laughs) into the distance just probably heading back towards the the bridge um, and I was sad for him because I don't think anyone there was going to take care of him. And I really doubt, and at the time I doubted that, that Greg and Karen, now that they were going to have wheels to get around, uh, that they'd come back there. Why would they? They can go wherever they want. And with the, the ace in their sleeve of, of hot rod in their uh, in their uh, strategy for Spangen and flying sign. I'm sure they do all right when it comes to gas money. So I I doubt they'd come back there to take care of their street son, their other street son. And I still wonder what happened to Josh. So. We, they, they, they got the rest of their belongings, which weren't much, a couple bags, a couple sleeping bags, and, uh, and that was it. I started to head back south, back the way I came. Drove the entire afternoon, um, listening to the 80s classic rock the whole way and singing along smoking weed the entire time uh, as I as I drove Greg said he would drive but I insisted on it I said this is my last time in this thing and he smiled and I could tell he understood I wondered if he had a sentimental way of looking at things uh, at actual things because when you look at a, a thing and you personify it as much as I did, being the van, I mean, I've said before, it just, it was, it was a friend. And I wanted this last to, to, to hold on to something as long as I could as I was about to give it away. So, we were going to be, the, the train was leaving the next morning, so we stayed at a McDonald's, the last McDonald's, and we all piled in the back. I let Greg and Karen sleep on the futon, since it was about to be theirs, and I just nuzzled in where I could between uh, the futon and the the doors the sheet door sheet window 
but I couldn't sleep. It was one of those nights where you just, you want to, and you know you can, and you just, just try and get yourself bored enough, empty your mind, until there's nothing, in hopes that boredom will overtake you and you'll drift away. And it didn't happen. Quietly climbed out, went inside. It's about 3 a.m. And just journaled, treated it like all the other mornings over the past seven weeks. It was the last day, but just like any other day. Reached into the the G.I. Joe tin, got some coins, and got myself a hot coffee. Greg and Karen finally got up, right as the sun did. She went in, bought us all breakfast, came out, had a nice morning, and I started to gather the things that that I was going to keep. I couldn't bring all of it home. I mean, there was, again, a cooler and a shovel, all in the, the futon, the small little nightstand slash desk, the my my work boots that really served no purpose besides being just a. Uh, tin can holder when I couldn't quite finish uh, an entire uh, can of kidney beans or cold ravioli. It would just sit in the boot so it wouldn't spill. An old uh, plastic uh, drawer thing for socks and whatever, even though it never made it back in there after laundry day, which only came probably (laughs) three times the entire trip. Greg asked for that G.I. Joe tin. And I uh, put my foot down there. (laughs) That was mine. Um, But he thought it was pretty cool. So we made our way to Sacramento and the plan was to give Greg and Karen the van for $400, which would cover my train ticket home. Now, my mom had already purchased the ticket, so I was good to go. But um, still, we you know, wanted the money. Um, Karen insisted on finding a notary which I didn't even know what a notary was at the time. She put together a small little contract uh, with... was was very professional about it, uh, given the, the, the bits of, of backstory I'd gathered from them, but she knew what she was doing, and I knew she wasn't trying to take me for a ride, and... I appreciated that. For the first time, I had had the company that I had always wanted this entire way. Of course, I wanted to be alone, obviously, in hopes of completing the mission. But all the hitchhikers or um, whoever that got in the van no one came close to Greg and Karen like at all I mean let's reflect so we have Christine the born again Christian who used to drink herself silly till she pissed the couch um Who else we got, I guess? Then One Feather and Marshall. Matt. T and Linda. Earth and his 
merry band of fuckheads. There was nothing there with any of them besides the the lessons learned and I guess the character development either in me or the plot twists within them. And that's how I saw them. And that's all, that's all they were to me now. We're just stories. But with Greg and Karen, it was a, a, a sincere love. And like I said, when I saw her carefully documenting uh, the payment for the van and and being truly sincere about about getting the money to me and 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 actually going through the process of having it notarized and um, being held accountable and and things like that it was it was it was fresh all of those other characters uh, including myself at, at times were only out for number one especially when shit could hit the fan and uh, they just weren't like that they loved me and I could see it. They just didn't have the money at the time. And I didn't have the patience to wait. So we still have some time to kill. And we're at the, the Amtrak station in Sacramento. I they They didn't ask for it. But I... I wanted to do a little recap of uh, of the gifts from from Renee's treasure trove, and I went through and showed them piece by piece, all the way from the first, you know, the entire box and that the beautiful art piece from Renee that unfortunately had been stopped somehow through the the one feather and marshall uh, company coming in and out of the van not caring for personal belongings and smashing beautiful artwork so the only thing i had left was the beautiful winding feminine piece of driftwood going down to uh, Dakota's small soap dish, Sarah and Erica's uh, the tie-dye necktie, and the llama that Sarah, had, the little toy llama that Sarah had, had gotten uh, in Peru, uh, a menu from the Big Texan, <laughs> trading uh, a gigantic feast for really nothing more than entertainment for 60 shouting drunk AIG workers. The bracelet from One Feather. Uh, the, the papers from Matt. The needle left by T and Linda, which they insisted that I throw away <laughs> before I boarded a cross-continental um, train. Having a clean, unused needle could be suspicious. And with 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 uh, a bit of annoyance i obeyed and listened to 
listen to their their words because clearly they they wouldn't have said it if there wasn't a real issue. So I <laughs> so I tossed it. The tuner left by Jerry and Five. And now the, the the memory I have of Greg and Karen. I never I didn't get anything physical from them. But I was trading the van. Something that I I loved. I loved like like a pet which is so strange just a non-verbal piece of metal but I loved it and I was trading that for the first real love that I felt out here the first parental uh, maternal type love that I thought was only really found in in family and friends and I told them that that I they didn't have anything to give me Uh, and I told them that that's that's all I wanted from them. And I had already received it. Karen started to cry and time was ticking. So, with a, my giant black duffel bag, my guitar case, I gave them both hugs and Greg snuck a small joint into my hand for later. Gave Hot Rod a Hot Rod a little pet, and then took took a moment to pull myself from the environment, my surroundings, and look at the van and see everything that had happened. See what it meant, what it stood for, and why I wasn't able to bring it home. There's nothing more th- that I, w- I would have loved to have bring that to have brought that van home I still think about it it's a small regret I have about not not trying to bring that van home and showing everybody this this uh, museum to myself on wheels is really just what it would have become the party wagon whatever and eventually would have broke down and that would have been it. But in this way, it was everything that I was able to leave behind about what what I had learned, the people I'd met, the decisions that either I made or were made for me. And there wasn't a thing out there that could um, hold all of those more uh, than my heart. (laughs) Than my memory. So I ran my hand across the hood, 
coarse, rough, sandpapery hood, warm from the day. Got to the end, gave it a small little pat, and walked away. Turned around, watched as Greg and Karen and Hot Rod took off in the van finding something finding freedom finding work finding salvation finding more street sons to give love to share their wisdom their uh, their rebirth from near homicidal behavior to almost annoying love <laughs> but true love sweet love they waved out the window and that was it I tried to fight off what was ever uh, about to spill out of me because now it was it was a new deal it was a new new uh, new form of travel it was a new uh, new way of 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 moving I'd gotten so comfortable in that thing. And this was weird. <laughs> it was weird not to have it. Not to be able to run to it and feel safe. So I'm walking into the station, <laughs> looking at the joint that Greg had given me and uh, realizing if they told me to throw an unused needle away, I'm sure as hell not going to try and bring a joint onto a train to to I, smoke in my in my sleeper cab. No way. So, um, trying one of Raven's tricks from Garberville. I put it in my mouth, about half of it. Kind of chewed it up and just swallowed it. I know that's not really the best way. Um, but I figured, why waste it? <laughs> so I threw the rest away. And then I got on the train. As scummy as I was, uh, it felt nice to 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 relax again not have the the baggage of travel. I made my way to my sleeper. It was just as cozy as I had imagined it would be. Small bunk up top, small bunk up underneath. And that's through all that's where I threw all my stuff up top and made my little nest. A pillow, I thought as I uh, sprawled out and immediately got in my underwear. <laughs> Uh, and we were off. Watched as the the landscape started to roll by. We stopped in Reno briefly to pick someone up, and I'm sure it was placebo, but I was feeling something, maybe from that pot, and uh, I get a knock on my window. Now, it just had a sliding door, uh, had curtains, uh, but enough, you know, I was able to at least peek out in my underwear, see what the hell was going on. A man flash flashes a badge, and I feel my stomach fall out of my ass, and uh, he looks to me and says, 
so hi, how's it going? Is your name Joke Lady? And asked to see my ID. And I can see him kind of looking up at my stuff, uh, looking at me as I'm trying to cover my lower half. Uh, and he says I fit the profile for someone that could be potentially smuggling stuff, um, money, drugs, whatever. I fell into the age range, uh, and the ticket was bought in such a short amount of time. I mean, it was bought less than 24 hours before. And um, after checking me out for no more than a minute, he realized that uh, I was not <laughs> the... The kind of person he was looking for. Meanwhile, his counterpart up towards the front of the train busted some guy um, with a hundred grand in cash, with no, without checking it or I, I don't know how that works, but apparently it's illegal. Got arrested. Kind of shook me up, uh, but nothing after that. The fun thing about these cross-country trains, I had never been on one before, but you have your your sleeper, um, and then there's the food cars, the meal cars, where you go, uh, and it's like a small diner, uh, very tight. It's like moving through a through a an airplane, but with you know fully full meals not just half a can of Coke and some stale pretzels. It's real meals um, over the course of two and a half days. So I was anxious and a little nervous about um, sitting next to normal people. That might sound a little... mm, I don't know, like I'm, like, think I'm, you know, on the, living on the edge, or on the outskirts of, what, no, it wasn't, I just felt weird, like I didn't belong here, I walked in there with actually ripped cargo shorts, weren't bought that way, just, just gross, uh, gross t-shirt, and probably smelled a little bit sat down with all these people that were were supposed to be there. This was a vacation type thing, which it it is. It's a it's a fun vacation thing to do and they were enjoying themselves and dressing for the occasion. It's a classy thing to do to go on a to go on a food car and it's just a it's just a, a kind of a retroy thing that you just dress up for. Like when people used to dress up to go on airplanes, now people wear their pajamas. Uh, that's still maintained a little bit on this. At least it was then. But not for me. So you have to find a seat, a little booth of four. Um, and there was a seat next to this 87-year-old lady her name was Ruth, and I sat next to her across from this uh, middle-aged couple, and the three of them started to chat. Ruth immediately uh, showed her colors as being kind of a busybody uh, that knew everything about anything, in her opinion at least, and I without speaking with this couple, realized that they were bringing me in to some uh, immediate inside joke uh, to to patronize her a bit and uh, um, be a little sarcastic but but in a in a in a sweet way uh, enough to to get some laughs and uh, internally at least, and look at each other with those eyes like, oh, can you believe what this bitch just said? Like that kind of stuff, you know. And they just 
kind of brought me in on it. Um, yeah, but I stayed quiet. And after a while, they asked me, uh, so what's your deal? Where where are you coming from? Are you with anyone? And I said, no, I, I, uh, I'm heading back to Indianapolis. And that's when it began. That's when I started to tell them everything that I've told you. And they asked their questions, and I told them what I wanted to tell. Uh, Ruth would chime in and have to say something to pretty much every every uh, every story about she's been there or she knows someone there, or really not not contributing to the actual story itself uh, by filling in gaps, just letting everyone know that she knew what I was talking about. <laughs> um, and that that was it. We went back to our respective cars and or little little rooms and uh, fell asleep. The next morning, the sunrise woke me. We had... Uh, made our way through Utah. We were now in the Rocky Mountain Territory of Colorado. I could barely stay on the phone with anyone uh, because of all the tunnels. This this path was cut into uh, and didn't cut into to mountain sides and and didn't follow any main roads. Uh, it was parts of the country that very few people have seen. There was no other way to really get to it. And uh, you could see how untouched a lot of it was. Over the next day, uh, all three meals ended up at three different tables. Uh, started to get to know the the couple waiters that ran back and forth, both from Chicago, having very uh, thick, uh, <laughs> rough Chicago accents, but still very sweet and genuine nonetheless. And by the end of the day, somehow the rumors started to spread. Not bad rumors, but just... Um, talk of that kid that kid who had the van Um, and the next day everyone wanted to sit with me (laughs) it was it was uh, it was fun to be for for people to want to hear already to me, these stories weren't uh, what they are now. They were, most of them considered pretty fresh wounds, honestly. Over the in the, the course of the rest of the, the train ride, I had realized that these are, these are, um, crazy (laughs) a lot of shit went down and I just didn't see it that way really at the time I knew I knew it was definitely out of the norm for me and I was ripped from my comfort zone but I uh, I don't know I, I I knew that once I got home it would be these stories would be a way to let people know that it was somehow worth it by this time the jig was up everyone knew that I had lied about going back to school about getting an apartment rumors had spread around at home 
throughout people in college, through my family, and not all good stuff. Joe's gone off the deep end. His poor parents. And I get they'd be right. And they were right. But it wasn't uh it wasn't all bad. Uh, but it wasn't good. So anyways, back to the the train. Um by the end of the, the second day, one of the waiters So what are you having tonight, Joe? Just real matter of fact, but somehow he had heard something uh, and was maybe a little curious himself. I don't know. It just, I was already a regular on a train trip that that lasted a little bit shy of three days. By the end of the the second day I could I knew that Chicago was the next afternoon and the fun thing about this country physically geographically is it's so different from from almost time zone to time zone the um the way I drove out there, it was all very gradual, but there were certain days where I would catch the explosion of the desert or, or the, the, the beauty of the, the ocean or the forests in the north, but, but it all kind of came in, uh, little, little bits. This train ride was all that condensed in three days. Go to sleep in the desert, wake up in the Rocky Mountains. Go to sleep in the mountains, wake up in the plains. In the raw areas of of all three of those. And it was beautiful. So just to, to flash forward a bit... I made it home, and uh, it took a while to to get used to to get used to 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 life again at home. Not not in the sense of like I've been um, I've had it rough for so long, and like I, or I've. I've been some refugee or, or something. I just mean in the sense of for an entire year and then some, I had lived with such an internal uh, dilemma, an internal problem that I figured would, um, that, that I was going to fix in a permanent way. I didn't think I'd be home again. I thought when I pulled out of the cul-de-sac in Greenwood and I saw my parents and my brother in the rearview mirror for the last time, I thought that was the last time. I didn't think there was going to be any friends, maybe nothing. And now, here I am. And it was weird. And everyone expected me to uh, just be back. And to come down to IU and party. To find a job till the spring semester started. Because it was late, late September, September 17th. It's my first day home. Um, and uh, I just went with it. I would tell the stories 
of everyone. Of, of Renee and um, most most of uh, my close friends knew about about most of it by now when I would call them out of boredom and just need to process what had happened out loud to one of them and then they would find its way around no one ever knew about Leo until now I didn't feel like that was that was um, that'd make it a little more real I wanted this thing to be the the novel or the movie that uh, it had been worked up in in the minds of, of friends and family by my doing, of course. But that wasn't uh, on accident. That was in hopes of of trying to make people forget uh, that it could have been way worse to maybe forget about my behavior the entire year before. Most of it was hidden, but still. There's a lot of, a lot of signs of that um, self-destructing going on. So I just faked it till I made it. Till these stories uh, eventually defined me to where people I hadn't seen in years from from high school would I'd see him at a random party and they'd ask me about it. It's who I was now, and it's not a bad thing to have um, and again it was it's it was my doing but it was to hide a lot of the shame of wanting to uh, kill myself it took me a long time to realize that it was okay. And that's why I'm doing this now. It can be the fun story that it is, but there's there's a lot more. There was a lot more. Once I got home, I I fell in love within a month of being home and fell hard in love. And I thought she was the one I was going to marry and be with forever. And I thought this was why. Everything that had ever happened led to this one moment, and this moment was now. That's what I had learned. One of the things I had learned out there. And all that shit that happened, me making it out, it brought me to her. And I thought that was, I thought that was the, the destiny of it all. And I was so thankful but then that fell apart. And then I was left with doubt again. What is it then? What Was there a point? Did I just literally just fuck off? And alienate people.
and then I fell in love again. And had the same thought. Maybe what happened before, the heartbreak before, uh, in combination with that trip, now led me to this moment. And then that fell apart. And then we had a baby. It all has led to that. Who knows what can happen next? Because it's it's not just the choices that we make. It's the choices that everyone else is making. That your ancestors have made. For me. For you. I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, because it, it definitely does. But it used to terrify me when I got home that, that one of the realizations that I had made was that my choices don't mean anything. My, my understanding uh, that, that math and, and the probability of everything down to the, the very first seconds of time were already chosen. The dice had come up, and that's how it was going to play. As it um, was just a giant root system, but it's still, those roots are already predetermined where they're going to go. Again, not by, uh, not by a, a intelligent design, maybe. Not every decision is like, well, I want him to be here, or I want her to do this. It's, um, I, I just figured every decision was already made. There was a probability of this person doing this, and so they're going to choose that. And it's all mapped out. And it made me sick. Then why do anything? So that means if I lay in my room forever, that's what I was always supposed to do? It's taken me a lot of time to realize that it's both. The probability is there that you will make a decision that you'll that you'll follow the the path of least resistance. And the path of least resistance is to uh, not do anything hard. Not do anything scary. Anything that sh would show the, the slightest chance of you not making it. But when you go the other way, that's divinity. That's what it's all about. And that's what's led me to this point. To have my happy child. And to be able to teach her the things that I learned out there. And the things I'll learn forever because of what happened then. 
And I'm so grateful for how it has all ended. Those memories. How they've found their resting place in me. And now in you. So Chicago is just around the bend. I have my bags packed. I'm ready to go. I've been texting with my mom, knowing that she's going to be there. And I, um, I remembered back in San Francisco when I was sitting on that beach and I was just getting ready to leave and head north right before or at, right after the the baptism if you will I took a stick and wrote in the sand I made it simply just I made it I sent it to my parents, my brothers, a few friends. Because I had made it. They didn't know what all those three words meant. In their eyes, I think it just meant that I had finally made it to the ocean. But I had made it out alive. And I was able to make it home. The train screeches to a stop, and I get out. And within the hustle and bustle of everyone pushing through to get out of the the smelly, <laughs> farty train cars that have been inhabited for the past three days. I take my turn to push out. And across the platform, I see my mom standing there. I'm her son. And she's my mother. And I felt uh, such a relief seeing her. And I could feel it in her heart that she knew I had made it. That she knew what that meant. And that she finally knew that I was okay. I had spent all this time running from a sunrise. From a new day. Chasing the sunset. And I was finally ready to face the sun.
special thank you to these people right before this and directly after. Colin Augustine, Phil Betts, Sam Blatt, Amy Bain, Nathan Broadfoot, John Buckle, John Davey, Colton Dickey, Austin Dickey, Alyssa Dube, Kevin Dugan, Chris Egbert, Stephen Elliott, Jordan Fuller, Chris Jen, Chrissy Hasselbring, Emily Holman, Jessica Nabnet, Lindsey Jacob, Olivia Yonke, John Kyle, Tim LaRoche, Tierra Leitzman, Jackie Legible, Leanna Lucas, Haley Lightheart, Andrew Lockhart, Max Murdoch, Alex Newman, Melissa Newman, Chris Reckley, Caitlin Shaw, Nick Sheets, Ethan Smith, Eric Voigt. You guys saved my life. Sarah for helping me. Leo, thank you, and I'm sorry. Greg and Karen, wherever you are, I hope you're still in love. To my wonderful parents, Kent and Kathy, and to my wonderful brothers, Chad and Patrick, thank you so much. And to Joe and Genevieve, this was always going to be for you, even before it happened. Remember, you are safe in the universe. This has been Stoic Forge. Thank <laughs> you.